Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, One Summer Night by Ambrose Bierce, first published in Cosmopolitan, March 1906. A very brief story, um, but I quite like it. Uh, this is exactly the kind of opening chapter I, I want to read in a book, and it works all its on its own as a short story, though. Oh, well, I, I would love it since it is so short. If you would read it to us, and I already know my first question to you okay. after you're done. Are you ready to take it, take it away, Jesse? I'll, I'll read it right through. Here we go. One Summer Night by Ambrose Bierce, read by Jesse Willis. The fact that Henry Armstrong was buried did not seem to prove to him, uh, sorry, did not seem to him to prove that he was dead. He had always been a hard man to convince. That he was really buried, that he really was buried the testimony of his senses compelled him to admit. His posture, flat on his back, with his hands crossed upon his stomach and tied with something that he easily broke, without profitably altering the situation, the strict confinement of his entire person, the black darkness and profound silence, made a body of evidence impossible to controvert. And he accepted it without cavil. But dead, no. He was only very, very ill. He had, withal, the invalid's apathy, and did not greatly concern himself about the uncommon fate that had been allotted to him. No philosopher was he, just a plain, commonplace person, gifted for the time being with a pathological indifference. The organ that he feared consequences with was torpid. So, with no particular apprehension for his immediate future, he fell asleep, and all was peace with Henry Armstrong. But something was go going on overhead. It was a dark summer night, shot through with infrequent shimmers of lightning, silently firing a cloud lying low in the west and pretending a storm. These brief stammering illuminations brought out with ghastly distinctness the monuments and headstones of the cemetery and seemed to set them dancing. It was not a night in which any credible witness was likely to be straying about a cemetery, so the three men who were there, digging into the grave of Henry Armstrong, felt reasonably secure. Two of them were young students from a medical college a few miles away. The third was a gigantic negro known as Jess. For many years Jess had been employed about the cemetery as a man of all work, and it was his favorite pleasantry that he knew, quote, every soul in the place. From the nature of what he was now doing, it was inferable that the place was not so populous as its register may have shown it to be. Outside the wall, it at the part of the grounds farthest from the public road, were a horse and a light wagon waiting. The work of excavation was not difficult. The earth with which the grave had been loosely filled a few hours before offered little resistance and was soon thrown out. Removal of the casket from its box was less easy but it was taken out, for it was a prerequisite, oh, sorry, perquisite of Jess, who carefully unscrewed the cover and laid it aside, exposing the body in black trousers and a white shirt. At, the in, at that instant, the air sprang to flame. A crackling shock of thunder shook the stunned world 
and Henry Armstrong tranquilly sat up. With inarticulate cries, the men fled in terror, each in a different direction, for nothing on earth could two of them have been persuaded to return. But Jess was of another breed. In the gray of the morning, the two students, pallid and haggard from anxiety, and with the terror of their adventure still beating tumultuously in their blood, met at the medical college. You saw it? cried one. God, yes. What are we to do? They went around to the rear of the building, where they saw a horse attached to a light wagon, hitched to a gatepost near the door of the dissecting room. Mechanically, they entered the room. On a bench, in the obscurity, sat the Negro Jess. He rose, grinning, all eyes and teeth. I'm waiting for my pay, he said, stretched on a long stretched naked on a long table lay the body of Henry Armstrong, the head defiled with blood and clay from a blow with a spade. Okay. <laughs> so, so, what was your question? <laughs> you said mm-hmm. this is the kind of opening chapter that I really love. Mm-hmm. Or I love it if it's a self-contained story. Uh, I have a two-part question for you. Mm-hmm. One, what is there about this that stands for the type of story that you love as an opening chapter? And the second part is, what difference does it make in its effect on you, whether it is in fact an opening chapter or is a self-contained story? Hmm. Well, um, I think as a as a standalone piece, it's more comedic. It's it's explicitly more comedic, I think, as a standalone piece. Um, it <laughs> we we are left to do all the subsequent. Um, thinking about what's going on, what will they say, what what will happen next, sort of thing. Um, if if it's a standalone, but as an opening chapter, uh, it it's more uh, it it really gets right into what it's doing. That's what I love about it. And of course, Bierce does this thing where he's sort of making you do a little bit of work in order to figure out what's going on. There are jokes in there, in the way it's written, but it's it would be less humorous and more a sustained sort of tension um, and uh, surprise. It's got it, it in either case it works great. I think. Obviously, it's not the opening chapter of a novel or a, a longer work, but it is. Um, it 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 absolutely puts me in mind of other stories that start this way. Um, they start with someone waking up in a grave. Uh, uh, sure. Um, uh, this is sort of a theme of the 19th century. This comes at you know the beginning of the 20th century, but um, the most famous story I think of that ilk is Poe's The Premature Burial. Mm-hmm. But the first half of The Premature Burial is somebody talking about 
instances of premature burial that he has known of and is therefore afraid about. Mm -hmm. This one, as you say, this jumps right in, right? And in fact, as it does it, I'm not so sure that it's really about premature burial. No, uh, it's about all sorts of things. That's It's got so much going on in such a short space. It is, it is kind of about premature burial. And I think that that's where the irony and the comedy come in. I thought the irony was in the blade on the spade. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's a bad pun. Here's 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 the great irony, right? Is that Henry Henry Armstrong is uh, been buried alive. <laughs> um, he is going to be rescued. <laughs> he is rescued. However, he's dead. Right? <laughs> he's made right. dead because of his rescuers. Um, there's a great irony there, and I think that that it's kind of Beers playing with the conventions, um, and it is therefore a, a great comedy piece, I think. Um, but uh, a lot of the lines are comedic, uh, just on their own, rather than just a, as a whole as a piece. Um, no philosopher was he, just a plain commonplace person, gifted for the time being with a pathological indifference. The organ that he feared consequences with was torpid. This is um, gifted with a pathological indifference is, is just funny on its own. But the fact that, you know, he's been buried alive and it doesn't seem to bother him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is right. the opposite of the fear to... of, of what so many people were hysterical about in the 19th century. Right. But of course, this is 1906. So we're now in the modern era. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I find that this story... Uh, I may be misreading it, um, but I find myself with my current sensibility, and I, I know that people's sensibilities change as they change and as the culture around them change, but with my current sensibility, I find that uh, I'm not able to enjoy the humor of this story very much for the same reason that I'm not able to enjoy uh, – movies that capture minstrel shows or seeing, you know, Eddie Cantor in, in blackface mm. or Al Jolson, I should say in, in blackface. Um, this story has some, some, I think some pretty clear puns in it. Um, the strict confinement, I mean, when Henry Armstrong awakens, um, I love that phrase that you came up with, the, the organ, you know, he, he had the gift of not being able to to be very sensitive. <laughs> Great. You know, what a gift. Uh, stupidity or torpidity. Um, but the strict confinement of his entire person, the black darkness and profound silence, they made a body of evidence yep. impossible to controvert. Well, you know, the, the word body in there is is clearly a pun. Uh, there are a number of words here that I think are like that. And one of them that I, I don't know the history of this particular slang. But in fact, when I was a kid, which is uh, a lot closer now to when this story was published than it is to today, um, one of the the vile uh, slang words for a black was a spade. Oh, right. I get it. I, I, yeah. I didn't I, that didn't occur to me. Well, you see, and that's why I said part of the irony is that there is iron in the blade of the spade. Uh -huh. um, 
right? He is killed with a blow of a spade. The spade is made out of iron. But in fact, if you um, if you use that slang, the last line of the story, the very last line of the story mm. was stretched naked on a long table, lay the body of Henry Armstrong, the head defiled with blood and clay from a blow with a spade. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jess is happy, right? I mean, we see him out there, all eyes and teeth, saying, yeah. I'm waiting for my pay. Yeah, he's, he's, he's is, proud of himself. He is. This is like a minstrel show in that sense. I mean, oh, we have this, uh, this giant Negro. We're not told the color of the medical students. This whole thing is based on a presumption that by default, characters are going to be white. And indeed, in the middle of the 19th century, and, and, and a bit later than that, too, cemeteries were desecrated, bodies were stolen because it was hard to get mm-hmm. enough cadavers for medical instru- instruction. This is not an, un, uh, an uncommon uh, crime. But in fact, the white boys are too scared of it. Uh, whereas the black giant, um, he's just, you know, he knows what he wants to do. His perquisite is he gets to rob their clothing, right? Yeah. That's why they had to open the casket. That's why it is that Henry's able to stand up, uh, sit up. But in fact, when he sits up, it's because he has been shocked awake by that sound of thunder. Mm-hmm. It's It's almost as if the heavens are saying, arise, yeah. arise, right? It's, it's, so, it's yeah, a perfectly gothic scene, right? It truly is. But it engages, and, and like gothic scenes, it engages questions of curses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean expletives. I mean, you know, uh, may your children be uh, consigned to uh, pits of hell. All right? it, it engages curses. It engages religion. Uh, and yet we are never told, as opposed to the pit and the pendulum, uh, uh, or you know, another story of Poe's in which we see somebody strapped down, his hands crossed in front of him, lying down um, in the dark. Uh, we're never told here why Henry Armstrong was buried alive. What what was going on that nobody noticed that he was still breathing? You know, I mean, no one heard his heart beat. Uh, how did it happen that Henry Armstrong was buried alive? Was it, for instance, that the default people around him, that some white guy had already knocked him on the head because they wanted him murdered? And, you know, I mean, how lightly is life taken? But when it comes down to actually dealing with it out in the open, only the blacks are able to do it. And so my question now becomes, if I don't simply reject the story uh, that I can't find it funny because it looks like a minstrel show, Hmm. is it possible? Is it possible that Beers actually wanted us to see that there was something more honest about the self-serving violence of Jess than the the cowardly criminality of those who sent Harry Armstrong to his grave and would gladly then claim not his clothing, what's clothing, but his whole body? Mm-hmm. Is, so uh, the racial relations in here 
very hard for me to read through. I, I'm not quite sure what it means, but something in the heavens apparently wakes Henry Armstrong up. And the question is, is that because he should be awake or because something in the heavens wants us to see this clear contrast between the white boys and the giant Negro? Uh, what I, I, I didn't see, I didn't see, I mean, obviously, um, uh, Negro is not a word that people use much anymore. It's just, it's, it, but it's not a particularly uh, apathetical word today either. Um, obviously, spade. It could be seen that way uh, today. Um, I and I see all the stuff you're saying about the, you know, uh, the blackface minstrel show stuff. However, um, I I think it's a little simpler than than you know like. It's more like who's the only who's the only named character in the story other than the dead the dead man? It's Jess. The two medical students are there to provide the reason for the digging, right? They want the body, and that we figured that out. Um, what I like, what I the turn at the point in the story where things turn is that all three of them are freaked out when the thunder strikes and the body sit, sits bolt upright, right? Um, they each run off in different directions. I think that's just hilarious, right? It's it's a scene you could imagine um, visualized on screen, you know, with black and white, and and it, I mean, it's very well visualized in the story with the illumination of the headstones and and the you know the stuttering of the of the clouds and all that stuff. Um, and so when he sits bolt upright, this is the fear. Of zombies. This is a zombie story in a certain sense, right? He's buried alive. He comes back to life. Um, did Jess kill him um, uh, because he was a zombie? Well, probably not, right? It's probably he needs to get paid. He gets paid by delivering bodies to the medical school uh, and these uh, medical students who need to do their homework, which means, you know, brushing up on their physiognomy, right? Their physiology. So, um, I, I like it's that, you know, the, the two students are, they get a little conversation in like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, oh, you know, what was that? No, Did you believe no, that? Notice, notice that God is in there again. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So there is something here about the moral. I really do think at the sub, at the subtextual level, there is something about the morality of what's going on. Absolutely. And I, I think more than telling us the answer um ambrose bierce is more like look at all this right this is this is humanity on display right um, the poor guy's been buried alive well, luckily he's not too upset about it um th this this guy who makes a joke of quote knowing every soul in the place right that is <laughs> it's not the souls he knows right it's the bodies he knows them well because he he plants them and then he digs them up Right, plants them during the day and digs them up at night, and and then uh, so, you know, as you say, you know, he's a grave robber, but he's also a, a, a corpse acquirer for uh, students to do their cadaverous practices. Um, but who's when he in makes... the wrong? Who is in the wrong? Is the real question, right? We're kind of asking, and I don't think anybody's in the right here, except for maybe the corpse. I don't think anybody's on the right, but I think that the, the racial issue, the racial distinction is is ever more prominent as I think 
about it and that there is something earthy and open and honest mm-hmm. in, in Jess that we don't find in the nameless whites, including whoever it is who was complicit in burying Henry Armstrong alive. Uh, you notice um, this is at the very end of the first page with inarticulate cries. The men fled in terror, each in a different direction for nothing on earth mm-hmm. could two of them have been persuaded to return. OK, because they realize now, oh, my gosh, this this is murder. If to keep this guy, you know, they are scared. They've really been caught in a in a horrible crime. I'm not but, sure they think it's murder as much as they they think, you know, they've been. Well, sure. Maybe there's a ghost, right? Yeah, they're not scientific at this point. Right. There's something supernatural involved here. Exactly. Then it says, this is the next sentence, but Jess was of another breed. Mm -hmm. Now, that word breed is pretty powerful. You know, when you think about the story uh, as a story deeply engaged in questions of race, Right. The whites are the dominant race. They set the norms for behavior. What is criminal and what is not. But the whites perform their criminality in the darkness, whereas the black men perform their criminality in the open. Mm. Right. When you say he's of a different breed, you could mean race. But that's the same word that we use to talk about a kind of animal. Mm -hmm. And. It is so clear that the default whiteness of the narrator recognizes that from the viewpoint of the culture in which the white medical students exist, Jess is, in fact, an animal. He is he is he's just a man in the cemetery. He's the man of all work. He just does whatever needs to be done. He's the everyman. And it's the white culture above that is being superimposed on on true humanity and true humanity. After all, you know, Cain kills his brother. People need clothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I agree with you. Everybody in this. <laughs> well, we don't know what Henry Armstrong did for a living, no. but uh, everybody uh, who makes it alive from beginning to end of this story um, is culpable. But there is a kind of hypocrisy. I'm going to rob a grave because I want to become a doctor. You know, in 1906, becoming a doctor wasn't becoming a physician, a healer. In 1906, becoming a doctor was becoming a sawbones. There was little that most doctors could do besides setting a bone or helping somebody know what to eat or not eat to make it let his body defend him through a particular illness. There wasn't much more. And yet they think they're justified. Well, they're learning a skill. They're learning a trade. Whereas Jess is a man of all work. One way to read the story is to see it as a joke. I think another way to see the story is to realize that if we try to bury our mistakes or our venality and it sits up again, Um, we're going to fly in terror from what we really are and what we've really done. But somebody with a little less squeamishness and a little more recognition of what it means to be human is going to come along and say, this is what you owe, God damn it. This is what you owe. And I I think that 
the the point uh, of you know it being about race and about who's right and who's wrong is is best summed up in the little joke that comes right after the two white men running away and the mention that Jess was of another breed. The next line is in the gray of morning, right? <laughs> there's the black, there's the whites, and in between there's the gray. Well, you know, medical doctors, they need patients to experiment on and they're dead after all. They don't need their clothes, right? Um, the, the other line that uh, is great there is the men mechanically the two doctors or do- medical students mechanically enter the room and in the darkness they can only see the teeth and the eyes of Jess right which is <laughs> um, it's like it's the a reminder of the soul and the and the bodies and I think it's it's a it's a he is not afraid to play with exactly what you're pointing to. I think uh, this is a very about race story, but it doesn't have one idea. It's more like, look at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that the story is is primarily asking us to come to a recognition of racial issues. I think it's using our understanding of racial issues to do what you said at the beginning of our conversation, tell a story about all people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we need to recognize is that all people have certain shared needs, uh, certain shared behaviors, but by golly, they can choose what their attitudes are toward those things. They can choose whether to act or not. They can choose whether to desecrate the dead or create the dead. They can choose exactly how they intend to support themselves and their own lives. Um, the way we've constructed a society in 1906, different people have different choices available. But morally speaking, we are all confronted with choices. We all have to be people. And we better recognize that within our own limits, we've got to do it. Um, If you can laugh at that, which is kind of terrific, maybe it'll become a lesson that you don't notice getting in there, but it'll keep percolating around. And sometime when the thunder claps, um, the lesson will wake up. And if you're lucky, you won't run away from it. But there's always more to say.